during the the how I know that I'm ready to come back from vacation. It, it's it's been happening for years. It's during the 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 second week. I always have a spontaneous moment of creative thought about a sermon series or, or preaching. And then I know my heart is restored. You with me? And it takes that say somewhere in that second week, usually halfway through before that happens. And it's never not happened. So if I don't ever show up back from my vacation, you're going to know that didn't happen, right? Be calling Chuck and Penny. It's, I need another week. I need another week. So, but it all, but inevitably it always, it always happens during that, that second week. But, but then something else happened too, which kind of caught me off guard. I'm not an intensely feeling person. You know this about me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kind of a task driven person. Um, but, but as we were sitting on the dock, watching boats go by, just maybe watching the sunset, I kept having these spontaneous moments of just my heart being flooded with affection for this church. Sometimes I saw some of your faces and my heart just, just welled up with just love and affection for this church. And it just, it reminded me that if I was not a pastor and I lived in this city, I would come to this church. I would come here. Now you might say, don't all pastors say that. No, they do not. They do not. I would come here if I lived here and I wasn't a pastor. And so I just, I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you for just being awesome for loving our family, for loving each other. And my plan was to start a series tonight. You know, we've been working through our discipleship model, but I'm going to push that because when I was in here in the sanctuary this week, just praying, reflecting on vacation, just reflecting on how much I love this church, just God just began to speak to me about these portions of texts that have been foundational to our church since we came here in 2007. There have been seasons in our church where he, he gave us some verses that begin to shape who we are and still today very much define who we are. And so I've entitled this message Foundations, and I, I want to work through some of them together. Again, we're not going to be in a hurry. We'll, if we don't get through all of it, we'll just push it to another week that's to come. But I, I want to start with this text in Mark 1, I'm going to read in verses 29 to 34. If, if you want to read along, it's on the screen if you want to pull that up. And then, too, if you're new to the church, we always put these notes just as we preach it. Uh, we put these notes online every week. If you're a note taker, sometimes we move faster than maybe what you prefer, but the notes will always be available to you the week after. This is Mark 1, 29 to 31. It says, After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever, and they told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. Now this is the verse. I'm going to talk about this in just a minute. That evening after sunset, and, and years ago when I was reading this, it, it was the, the, I don't remember the translation, but it said, when evening came and the sun had set. I still remember that phrase. Many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus, and the whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick and with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. Now, when I was reading this, this was back probably in the, the spring, maybe early summer of 2008. I was in my office. The church didn't have a building then. We were meeting in Regal Cinema over off of uh, Victory Boulevard in Kiln Creek. That was where we held our worship services. And then we, and just everything else was in, in, in people's homes. 
And, and as I was reading that, 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 that morning, I felt the Holy Spirit just speak to my heart that there was something in the story that he wanted me to see. And so as I began to pray, I, I locked in on that phrase, when the, e- when the evening came and the sun had set. And, and, as, and as I began to reflect and meditate on that, what I began to realize is the reason why that phrase is in there is because the Holy Spirit inspiring Mark to give us this account wanted us to understand that people would not break the religious tradition, not, not the godly tradition, but the religious tradition of a Sabbath to knock on the door where they knew Jesus was to ask for his healing. Right, because in, in the in the Jewish calendar, the way it rolled, a day goes from sunset to sunset. So the Sabbath would break when evening came and the sun had set. Then they were free again after that 24-hour cycle to go about their duty. And I just had this, I wouldn't call it a vision, but I had this, this picture in my head of a line outside of this house where they knew Jesus was, mother standing there with dying babies, with relatives who were sick and diseased, who demon-possessed people, right, who desperately needed Jesus. But because of a religious tradition, they would not reach out to the one who could heal them. It's powerful, is it not? That they waited, even though their need was so great, there was this barrier of a a broken understanding of what Sabbath was really about that was keeping people. And then the knock came, and Jesus began to minister. And as I was reflecting on that text, I realized that God was going to ask us to, to shift, to make a change as a church that was going to do something demonstrative that would say to people, this this church, although it has orthodox belief, it doesn't get encumbered by religious tradition. And as I began to think and reflect on that in the days to come, I felt like God was asking us to move the day that we were going to hold our services from. And that's how meeting on Saturday was birthed in us as a church. I met with the core leaders back then in 2008 and shared with them what I felt like God was speaking to me. I'm in a permission-giving relationship, still am, with the leaders of this church. We, we find collectively what we feel like is God saying to us, not just any one person. And as we began to pray, we really felt like God was asking us to make this move. And so, and, and so the theme of the church for, for a few years became re, rearranging the weekend, reawakening life. Right, if you were here back then, I see April nodding her head. Right, there were people that have been with us since then. Rearranging the weekend, reawakening life. We just we knew that our city was filled with people who had given up on Jesus because they were encumbered and disappointed by religious tradition, and that God was going to ask us to make a change that would somehow get their attention. I remember we took that dream and that vision to the, 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 the core leaders of the church. It was about, I don't know, about 40 of us at George and Sharon Richack's house who, who uh, were a key part of the church back then and have since moved away. But they had a pool in their backyard and we had a pool party and I can still see it. We were sitting at this picnic table under an umbrella and, the, and all of these leaders were sitting around and we were sharing with them this story. And all of us had this collective sense that God was asking us to do something different that was going to reach people. People that had given up on community and given up on Jesus. It was in December of 2008, that first Saturday, that we held our first Saturday service 
at 28 Harpersville Road because part of that story, even though we didn't know it was going to be part of the story, is that God was moving us onto Saturday for the impact we were going to have on our city, but he was also moving us to Saturday because he was opening up a door for a meeting place for us. And, and, and so we, we were, had begun to reach out to churches to see if they'd be interested in another church coming out. And so we knew about this multi-church campus over on 28 Harpersville Road called the Mosaic. And I, we, we reached out to one of the elders one day at lunchtime just to see. And, and, he, and he answered the phone and, he's, and we told him, he said, it's so interesting you called because I'm here meeting with Pastor Ken, who was the pastor of Hope Community Church that owned the property. And we're having lunch today because we just found out that one of our churches isn't renewing our lease and there's an opening and and that opened the door for us to come and we ended up being a part of that community for eight years and and then can I just tell you one of my disappointments with Jesus is that he kept us there for eight years because we had this dream that he was going to give us our facility right this one of the I had to wrestle with and and what we didn't know then is that God didn't just want to give us a building he wanted us to give us a vision for how churches can work together and, and so because we were there, we got this vision of, of how churches can work together and share space. And, 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 and he knew that one day, that in 2019, right, that this building was going to be given to us and we were going to bring that vision here. It's been so good. Rearranging the weekend, reawakening life. John 18, beginning in verse 10, reads this way. Now, we're, we're moving through time here as we move from Mark 1 to John 18 through three years of Jesus' life and ministry. And now he finds himself on the eve of his crucifixion. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and they have come to arrest him. It says, then Simon Peter, right, who was one of the 12, one of his disciples, drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. Right, Peter's, he's, he's defending this, his, his friend, and, and so, but Jesus says to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall not, I not drink from the cup of suffering that the Father has given to me? And then as we read in the Gospel of Luke, we find that Jesus in that moment does something incredible. Jesus literally walks over to, to, to this, this servant and places his hand on his ear. One of the people that have come to arrest him, you with me? Touches out, reaches his hand, and heals this man. His own enemy. I'm like, let that thing bleed, right? You shouldn't be here. Reaches out his hand and heals, heals this man. This text during that season of rearranging the weekend and reawakening life became a central part to the teaching of this church and still is today because I believe not only is that history did it happen, but so much of the history of the Bible is also prophetic. And, and, and the history is recorded for us because of what it's supposed to teach us. Right? And, and so what, what we believe is that Peter, in that moment, he represents the institution, the religious institution of church that is sometimes misguided. If you've been around church for any amount of time, all of us have been wounded a little bit. If you've been around church for any amount of time, you've got church hurt. All of us do because people are imperfect. And sometimes churches, as well intended as they might be, I'm sure that there are people that feel like they've been hurt by city life. Right? We're not perfect here either. All people, if you've been in church for any amount of time, because even if they're well-intended, can be misguided, we find ourselves being wounded by the church. And we, again, we knew that people in our city, they, they, they loved God, but they didn't love God's people anymore. And that we were supposed to be a church that was going to help to change that. 
See, when you, when you get hurt by a church, when you get hurt by spiritual leaders, the idea of Malchus's ear being cut off, that's prophetic too. So oftentimes in Jesus' teaching, he would use this phrase, phrase, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Meaning that there is a spiritual part of us that we are born with, that God has given to us, that enables us to sense God's presence, that enables us to feel his voice. There's a part of us that enables us to recognize who he is, that he is our creator. And when the church wounds us, it wounds that part of who we are. And it makes it hard for us to feel God's presence. It makes it hard for us to feel his voice. And, and when Jesus reaches out his hand to touch Malchus's ear, it's a prophetic picture of, of a healthy church. Not a perfect church, but a healthy church beginning to restore those parts of who people are that enables them to feel God's presence again. We, we, we hope that people, if you're in here tonight, if you're watching online and you've got church hurt, whether it's here or someone else, you've got to keep showing up, even if you don't want to, into a healthy church setting because that part of you needs to be restored and that part of you needs to be healed so you can continue to feel God's presence and feel his voice, rearranging the weekend, reawakening life. The work that we are doing here together, people, it's sacred. Restoring people's trusts in the local church again, resuscitating their desire for a spiritual family. Find it here, find it somewhere. But all of us that have been born into the family of God are supposed to be building and working together with the local church. There was another season soon after that that we found ourselves in this new, this other theme, this saying that you're, you're family from the first hello. If you've been a part of City Life Church in a time, you've heard somebody say, you've received something in the mail, you've got a text, you're family from the first hello. It was in 2009 that we were, again, we came in 07. The church was just a few years old and we're, we're, we're still praying and trying to figure out who has God called us to be here on the peninsula. And I went away at a, a pastor's conference out in Portland, Oregon, and I was in this breakout session and there was a, a, a lady teaching that session who's a, a friend of our family, Glenda Malman. And, and, and she's one of those people, like when she prays, you're like, I think she might have been in the Bible, even if she's alive today. You, you ever been around people like that when they pray? There's like, all of a sudden, there's like, there's an open heaven. And Glenda is, moment is one of those people. And as, and as she was praying for all the pastors in the room, something shifted where she stopped praying by way of a petition. A, a, a petition prayer is when you're praying and you're asking God, right? And, and then she moved into what I would say is a prophetic prayer where she began to declare things over the people that are in this room, right? And we believe in that, right? As a church, we, we believe in that. We believe that everything that you read about in the Bible, it can still happen today. And, and so, so, so as she was just declaring things over, over the pastors, right, just tears began to well up in, in my eyes. I was sitting there, and I had such a feeling that the Holy Spirit spoke to me so plainly that said, city life is going to be a welcoming place. And I remember coming back from that, again, sharing with our leaders and saying, I, I feel like this is supposed to be a definer. It's supposed to be a marker for who we are. And still today in 2023, the, 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 the most consistent thing that visitors say when we talk to them about city life, if they're new, they, this is one of the things that it's one of the most welcoming places I've ever been in, right? It's, it's part of our DNA. It's, it's part of who we are. And, and, and the text that, that God gave us for that is, comes out of John 13. 
19, 34 to 35. Listen to what Jesus says, right? So now we're backing up. I know we're, right? It's just like a modern day movie. We're moving back and forth through time, right? And so we're in Gethsemane. Now we're backing up from Gethsemane. And this is Jesus with his, his disciples. And he's, he's, he's working in some final, final things for them before he dies and goes back to heaven, dies for our sins. It says, so now I am giving you a new commandment to love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. And the reason why he calls this a new commandment, I remember we first started teaching this early on in the church, is because religious leaders had already asked Jesus, what are the two greatest commandments? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And then he says, the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself, right? He had just said that a few days ago. This is during the last week, right? The, the, what we call this chronological context of the Bible, when it happened. So just a few days before, now it's just a few days later, he says to the disciples, hey, 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 I want to give you a new one. I'm going to change up that second one. Because the first time he said it, he says, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Can, can I just tell you? I know some people, and I do not want them to love me the way that they love themselves. Can we agree on that? Right? So, so, so Jesus is saying, hey, we're going to change it. Because sometimes the standard is not high enough because they don't love themselves well. So he says, let me, let me, let me give it to you this way. I want you to love people the way that I've loved you. It's a new commandment. It's a new commandment. And, 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 and we've been teaching that part of this church. It's still a part of who we, we, we have a responsibility. We have a mandate as the people of God to love the world, whether we perceive them to be our enemy or not, whether they voted for the candidate that we would have preferred or not, whether they look the same way we do or not. We have a mandate that has been given to us by our creator and our savior that says, love them the way that Jesus loves us. Now, I don't know about you, but the way that Jesus loves me is that he loves me without condition. He loves me in spite of my imperfections. He loves me even on the days when I am unlovable. And like you, I have days when I'm unlovable. He loves me all the same still. And we have a responsibility, family, from the first hello. During those years, we began to teach the church this, the idea of Jesus's two declarative statements, meaning that there are two great texts in scripture where Jesus tells us why he came. One of them is in Luke 19, it's in 10, in verse 10. That's where he says, I came to seek and to save the lost. Meaning Jesus said, one of the reasons why I left heaven to come to earth was, was so that people could be reconciled to God. People that feel far from God, they're going to be reconciled to him through me. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But then in Matthew 16, 18, he gives another declarative statement. He says that he came to build his church. Now, those, those are different statements. So was Jesus confused about his purpose? Did, was, was Jesus mistaken? Did, did he, was he correcting the other? Was it Jesus saying, you know, I thought I was supposed to come to seek and to save the lost, but now I realize I've come to build a church, or vice versa. No, we don't see it that way. We, we see that the one serves the other. Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost, and then he said, I've come to build my church because he intended the church to be the place and the instrument for the lost to be sought and saved. That there would be pockets of the family of God throughout history 
throughout the world who would gather together with the sacred message that we call the gospel, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, that people could come there and realize that they have value because they are, that Jesus loves them and died for them, that they can be reconciled to their creator and born into his family and discover a divine purpose. We believe that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and we're supposed to seek and save the lost with him and build the church so that that work can be done. Never forget the power of a smile. Don't underestimate it. A warm welcome. When you make someone feel like they matter to you, you're giving them a glimpse of how much they matter to God. Let me say that again. When you make someone feel like they matter to you, you're giving them a glimpse of how much they matter to God. The greet time that we do here on Saturdays, it's not because we, we have to do some type of transition and so we're trying to distract you while we're doing something else up here, right? It's not a production. Every part of the service has a spiritually meaningful significance to it. That, that greet time is an opportunity for you to find someone else, whether you know them or not, and look them in the eye and give them a welcoming smile because you're showing them God's countenance in that moment. And for some people, that's one of the greatest gifts that they're gonna have on that day. So I hope that in this greet time, whether you're a visitor, whether you've been here a lot, that, that, that you're gonna see that in a new light. That during that greet time, it's gonna be one of the parts of the service you can't wait. Even if, even if you are naturally introverted like me, our personalities are not permission to step aside to one of the greatest moments of making other people feel seen and showing them a countenance of what it looks like when God sees them, a smile. Somebody say, heaven now, heaven forever. I think this is gonna be our last one. Heaven now, heaven forever. Psalm 27, 13. I'm gonna read this one on the screen. It says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And let me just read this one again. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. For years, for many years, this phrase, heaven now, heaven forever, was, 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 was part of our declaration of faith as a congregation. But it was also instructive because we also realized that many people had grown up in a Christian tradition like I did, that Christianity was presented to them as deferred gratification. Now, what do I mean when I say that? It means that Christianity is presented to people in such a way, even though they don't come out and say it, right? This is what they imply, or by all the other things that they teach, right? This is the implication, is, is that you need, you need to accept Christ so you can go to heaven. But when you do that, you're really going to miss out on everything else that's fun in this world. But that's okay, because heaven's a perfect place, and you'll make up for it when you get there, right? For too many people, They've been presented a Christianity. Whether or not it was explained that way, it's, it felt that way. And it felt that way to me. I, I think that's one of the devil's greatest deceptions is the idea of deferred gratification. Deferred grat because nothing could be further from the truth. And I remember when, when, when I was a young adult, and it was in 1990, and I picked up the Bible and began to read it for the first time for myself. I started reading in the Gospel of John, and I came to the 10th chapter. And you know what the 10th verse in the 10th chapter says? Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. 
And I, and I remember having this revelation in that moment, and I got angry because I had been duped all those years by the devil. That, that hey, Christianity isn't about deferred gratification. It's about the greatest adventure that I could ever have today, and as a bonus, heaven is promised to me after I die. Are there times that God says no to us? You better believe it. Are there moral boundaries that Christianity gives to us? You better believe it. But every time God says no to us, every time he withholds us, withholds something from us, it's not because he's trying to rob us of something good. It's because he's trying to protect us of mediocrity. He's protecting us from giving ourselves to something that is less than the life that Jesus has called us to. My biggest regret in life is that I did not give my heart wholeheartedly to Jesus sooner. December of 1990 was the day of my devotion. Heaven now, heaven forever. Eternal life is all throughout Scripture. But for too many people, eternal life is only understood to them by something that begins after we die. And what we're saying to you is that eternal life begins from the moment you bend your knee to Jesus. Eternal life begins for you, not just in the sense that it's promised to you, then it's promised to you now. That eternal life isn't just measured on a time continuum, it's measured on a depth continuum. In 1 John 5, 11 to 13, we find this verse where, 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 where eternal life is repeated over and over and over again. And whenever John talks about eternal life, he always talks about it in reference to the name of Jesus. In fact, when you read 1 John, when you read that epistle, eternal life is the major theme. So many times people say that it's love, but I would argue, no, it's eternal life because love is part of the eternal life that God's given. It's the meaning that he adds to your life from the moment you make a vow of devotion to him. Heaven now, heaven forever. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. All throughout the history of our church, there's been times where, where God has has highlighted portions of scripture that were supposed to define us. Can, can, one of the reasons I've been talking about this is because there's so many new people who have been coming the, to the church this year. And so I, I want to impart to you, right, as I started, there's such a deep love and affection in my heart I have for this church. And, and much of that is because of these things that God has shared with us and taught us, things that have defined us. And we want you to discover those too. But one of the reasons I've been talking about it is because what God has done in this church, he wants to do in your life. There's certain stories in the Bible, there's certain verses in the Bible that he wants you to discover because those things are supposed to help define you. If, if you're a married couple, maybe you're a newly married couple, or maybe you're newly going to get ready to be a married couple, that you should go into marriage with this expectation. There's going to be verses in the Bible. There's going to be stories in the Bible that God's going to give to us that's going to help define who we are. It's going to help direct us. It's going to help shape the impact that we're supposed to have in this world. But none of that is possible. None of that is possible without first there being a relationship that we have with Jesus that's deeply personal and deeply meaningful. One of the things that we believe as a church is, is, is that every person's greatest desire is to know God and to be known by him. We call this a welcome home moment. We do, we're doing this every weekend. Not, not for you to be welcomed to this church, but so that every person has an opportunity to be welcomed into the family of God. And every one of us share that deep need to know God 
and to be known by him. But that great need represents also our great dilemma because you and I are born to this world separated from him. And no matter how good of a life we think that we have lived, all of us have regrets. We all have things that we wish we hadn't done, thoughts that we wish we hadn't had, things that we wish we hadn't said, and, and we call that sin. And that sin, it keeps us separated from God. And just as we've already talked about tonight, at some point, for each of us, our life is going to come to an end. And when that happens, we're going to stand before God, our creator, and we're going to have to give an account for our lives. And, and the smallest of sin, the smallest of sin, and God's justice system is worthy of eternal death. Now you might say, Fred, that's sobering. And I would say to you, yes, it is. And you might say, well, Fred, then I'm going to change tomorrow. And I would say, you could try, but you're never going to be able to do it on your own. None of us can outrun our human nature. And that's where Jesus comes in. Because Jesus says, I have an answer for that. In, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this verse, it's a favorite verse of ours. It says, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And the same way that you were born into this world, there's a moment in time where we're supposed to be born into the family of God. And when we're born into the family of God, we become something new. We become someone new. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us and begins to give us new desires, begins to give us strength to resist temptation that we've never been able to resist before. Now, are we still going to make mistakes? Sure we are. But Jesus has a solution for that too. Because when he died on the cross 2,000 years ago, not only did he die for the person we used to be, he died so that we could be forgiven for every mistake that we're ever going to make in our future. So that one day when we breathe our last, which we will, and we stand before God and have to give an account for our lives, which we will, if we've made a vow of devotion to Christ in that moment, we do not have to fear condemnation. We step into that moment with the humble hope of an invitation to eternal life, an eternal life that we've already tasted because the life that we've experienced living for Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me where you are we're sharing this, what we call our welcome home moment every week, because we want everyone to have an opportunity to hear what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And in hearing that you might believe and in believing you might make your own profession of faith in Christ. And so I'm going to pray in just a moment. If you're with us as part of our online community, there are hosts that are willing to pray for you. You can hit that button and go into a private chat room where they can talk to you more about what it means to make a vow of devotion to Christ. But as, as we pray, if, if you've never Ever prayed a prayer like this, you, you just borrow my words and make them your own. Jesus, I believe that you're God's son, that you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead. So I accept now the forgiveness that you so freely give. Would you come into my life and begin to change me on the inside? that Holy Spirit, that as I'm born into the family of God, find all the room that you need to help me become the person, God, that you created me to be. And so on this day, I make a vow of devotion to Jesus. I devote my life to you, to live for you for the rest of my days embracing the plan that you have for me, yielding my heart to you, yielding my way to you, knowing that eternal life isn't something that I have to wait for, but I can have 
in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody sit together. Amen. Hey, at the end of the service, there's going to be some of us down here. We're going to go back into this worship song and, and uh, just to reflect on what God maybe has been doing in your life during this service. But at the end of every service, there's always people that are here to pray for you. Whether it's something that we talked about or not, if there's something that you want someone to pray for you about, we're, we're, we're always here. And so as we worship together, as you worship together, Jesus.